program has grown immensely rapidly over the past five years. Colleges widely, though not uniformly, have introduced world history sequences. And the development of best-selling history books like Jared Diamond's Guns, Germs, and Steel reminds us that the general public is also interested in world history approaches. So this is a course about world history. And what I want to do in this first session is define the beast, talk about why it's developed so rapidly, talk about some problems that are undeniable in the field, and then turn finally to a few remaining definitional issues. One of the obvious challenges of world history is the extent to which it can include everything. And indeed, it is fascinating that one can add so many different experiences and places and time periods to one's sense of how the world has developed. But any world history, whether it's a semester course or a two-year sequence or a big textbook, any world history is selective, and indeed that's one of the first things that is enjoined upon us as world historians. It's also not random selection. The key point in world history is that there are three major approaches, usually applied in combination to some extent, that help us decide what we're going to focus on. The first approach, it's probably the easiest, also probably the least rewarding in the long run, but the first approach involves studying major civilizations, uh, several of them from the word go, and talking about how they developed and how they helped define the experience of at least many, usually most, of the people in societies around the world. But this civilizational approach risks being random if it's not combined with an active interest in comparison. So the first approach in world history involves looking at major civilizations, but also bringing them together in comparison so we can see what they share, which is a crucial aspect of the dynamic of world history, how they differ, which is also obviously important, and through comparison, avoid the sense of it's Thursday, it must be China. Okay, that's approach number one. Approach number two, which is probably what world historians get most enthusiastic about, involves attention to cases where major societies, including civilizations, come into contact with each other. And we look at how this contact occurs, how it changes both parties to, to the contact, and use this as a framework for talking about broader changes in the experience of peoples around the world. The third approach relates to contacts, but emphasizes the emergence of broader forces, forces that will help define contacts, help define the experiences of individual civilizations, Forces like new trade patterns, new migration patterns, new disease patterns, new missionary efforts. Okay? So you've got a combination of three emphases. Civilizational approaches and comparisons, contacts, and these broader cross-cutting forces. And these are the components that we use to help us select what materials to emphasize and frankly also what in the vast array of knowledge about the world's past, what we can leave out. The approaches obviously are normally used in some combination. 
For example, when you talk about contact, you need some sense of what the individual civilizations involved in the contact consist of. So civilization and contact, to some extent, often go together. When you talk about the impact of new trade patterns, you need to interpret this impact through the experience of individual civilizations. So broad forces, yes, but leavened by the attention to individual cases. The three approaches, and particularly the last two, the contact and the broader forces, also help us define key time periods in world history. A second way, besides selecting major emphases, a second way that world historians make their subject matter manageable and, I think, meaningful, involves the decision to emphasize a rough coherence in certain key periods of time, and these periods, in turn, are defined particularly by changes in patterns of contact and or changes in some of the cross-cutting...